Welcome to STEM Unplugged, a monthly podcast designed to help you learn about STEM initiatives and to help advance STEM awareness. Now here's your host, Kelly Green. Thanks for getting connected. I'm so excited to be in the studio tonight with other people. We haven't had that in a while. So thank you very much for joining us for STEM Unplugged tonight. I'm your host, Kelly Green, the Chief Operating Officer for SciTech Institute a collaborative nonprofit organization making STEM connections in Arizona and beyond. Tonight in the studio, I also have my team member, Claire Conway, who's working to build the Arizona STEM ecosystem, one hub at a time. Tonight, we're excited to have a variety of guests on to celebrate STEM hobbies. We appreciate you listening in to this broadcast of STEM Unplugged. Claire, would you like to introduce our guest tonight? Yeah, absolutely. I was so excited to invite you all to be on the show today. Joined in studio today, we've got Mike Savarese, who is an event organizer with the Southwest Maker Fest, as well as Anne Lesen from the University of Arizona Cooperative Extension. And then joining us online, we've got Jim Knoll, who is a star party manager at the Tucson Amateur Astronomy Association, and Stacy Akahoshi, makerspace librarian at the Chandler Public Library. Oh my goodness, what a great lineup. This is going to be a great discussion. When Before we were um, on air, we learned that everybody was fr- from around the United States. So that's pretty diverse group we have. So again, thank you for joining us for STEM Unplugged. We are so excited. This week, we're actually launching the 11th season of the Arizona SciTech Festival at the Pennzoil STEM Fest, powered by SciTech Institute, collaborators at Barrett-Jackson which will be located at Westworld of Scottsdale. But we really want to get into this discussion about the importance of exploring a variety of hobbies to find your passion in STEM, especially here in our growing industry of Arizona. So let's start with Mike. What's your background and how can we inspire students interested to explore not only the Southwest Maker Fest, but making in general? That's a very good question. Uh, My background is mostly in software development. Started off my career doing video games and websites, apps, uh, pretty much anything you can think of. You know, for me, I was joking earlier about I wish that, you know, STEM had been more of a focus when I was growing up. Absolutely. Uh, There wasn't a lot of resources. I did have a lot of broken toys that I got to patch up and figure things out with, which is great. I think giving kids the tools, giving them the resources, giving them the time to explore what options are available is probably going to be your best bet. One thing I've learned, kids are incredibly creative, uh, especially, you know, at the Maker Fest, I teach uh, kids how to make their own board games at home. And the stuff that they come up with, I can't even imagine. And so if you just give them the tools and the resources, you'll be surprised. Yeah, I think that common idea of saying you can and opening the door and allowing them to tinker, right? We use that phrase a little bit now, that if you set the things in front of them and you just let them kind of engage on their own, no restrictions, I agree. I think we all have been incredibly amazed over the years. So how long has the Southwest Maker Fest been going on? Uh, So this will be our 10th, I believe, Maker Fest. Uh, uh, It's my fifth year working with the festival as both an event organizer, planner, and uh, also uh, exhibitor. Um, So uh, for the previous three years, I've taught the workshop on making board games, uh, providing kids dice and other fun 
options. <laughs> so there's a lot of weird game pieces out there. Well, I remember seeing pictures of some of our chief science officers from Connolly Middle School, the Aspire Academy, were out there with uh, Dr. Taylor. And I remember something with duct tape and they were designing all sorts of different things. So it really is for everybody, right? If you want to get out there and hands-on activities. I mean, absolutely. So one of our requirements is every exhibitor has to be hands-on, mm-hmm. has to be interactive. You know, part of making is not just about showcasing. Uh, it's about getting people involved, giving them options, showing them what's out there. And we have, you know, 40 plus exhibitors every year and they are varied. We have robotics clubs, we have Legos, we have, you know, obviously board games, kind of partial for me. We have uh, last festival, we had a binary adding machine. That was like a big contraption that somebody had built. And so Mm. you could actually like put balls in and would actually add up and teach kids binary. T-shirt making, we have people that take old clothes and shred them to weave together. Uh, You name it, we kind of have it. Um, We've also, you know, worked with other organizations in the Valley that um, focus on teaching kids about technology, computer parts, printers, how to take them apart. So they were there last year. We had a teardown booth, uh, which is a lot of fun because the only thing better than fixing something is breaking it, uh, (laughs) as we all know. And so, you know, kids could tear it apart, see what the insides of pretty much every home device looks like um, because that's how they're really going to learn is to get in there, get their hands on it. I think that's a great segue to the maker space, right? Yeah, I know. I'm super excited to come t- check out the Maker Fest this year. Um, and I know SciTech was also, speaking of festival collaborations, uh, really excited to work with the Chandler Public Library last year. Um, so I'm curious, Stacy, what's your favorite part about the maker space? I don't have a good answer for that. <laughs> She's like, um, all of it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess my favorite part of it is right now just being able to watch people access something like a laser cutter. We have a, a kind of a consumer-based laser cutter. It's a Glowforge Pro uh, 3D laser printer. Sounds um, fancy. Which can cut an edge. <laughs> and it's a fairly expensive machine. And so it's been really fun to watch people just kind of explore to walk in and not know anything about laser cutting and then be able to do something really cool. So sometimes people are just doing something as simple as etching names onto flash drives (laughs) that they're going to hand out to their family members for these pictures of events that they were just at together or um, things as complicated as recently an artist just put together the finishing touches of their exhibit for the Chandler Multicultural Festival to make sure that their exhibit works the way that they wanted to. So it's been really fun to watch people be able to know nothing about laser cutting and then leave with something that they actually created in our space. I think the really neat piece about that is that you're at the public library. And so the makerspace, I'm assuming, is open to everyone that has a library card, right? Yes, it is open to anybody with a Chandler Public Library card. And as long as you live in Maricopa County, you're able to get a Chandler Public Library card. You don't have to live in Chandler, which is a question I often get. And one of the things about it is it's completely free to use. So you do have to bring your own materials to laser cut, but it's free to use our laser cutter here and you're able to just kind of book an appointment, be able to come in. Um, You'll take an online training, which some people say it takes 20 minutes. Other people will tell you it takes over an hour. Um, So it depends on how deep you want to dive into things on how you'll complete that training. And then you get to come in, you get to do those things that 
were just talked about that happened at MakerFest, um, but you get to do them in a public library whenever you want to. Um, so you can dabble in at MakerFest and then show up at some of our different public libraries around the Valley, including ours here at Chandler Public Library, where you'd be able to actually do those things in our actual spaces. I love that you answered the fact that it's open to anybody in Maricopa County. But the other thing is people are not really aware of how cool the library is anymore. I mean, we we talked about being a little bit older and, you know, putting toys back together. But the idea that libraries are STEM locations now. So it's really, really cool. Yeah, absolutely. And we're just expanding. The more... I. During the pandemic, I have seen over three more library maker spaces pop up. So um, within the past few years, we've just been growing and doing more. I remember last year during our online festival, thank you so much to your team, Chandler Public Library was a great supporter of those Zoom calls. So we did like over 250 during the whole month of February. That was crazy. But you also had the drone, uh, drones they can come in and fly. You had all sorts of cool things to showcase. We did the water beads and some really neat things. So I appreciate that. Another good friend of ours is Jim Knoll. You know, we talked about getting out there. I think it's to the Chiricahua site. Is that how you say it? To check out yeah, the, the stars? Yeah, the Chiricahua Astronomy Complex. Yeah, you know, unfortunately, uh, you know, you guys in Phoenix for sure know, and, and we're experiencing some of that down here in Tucson as well. Uh, light pollution is uh, hindering uh, some of our science uh, activities. And so we have to go to uh, little ways outside the city to be able to get some true dark skies. Um, but our club does have a, a site really close, probably about 15 miles from the Chiricahua National Monument. And the skies are just incredibly dark out there. Well, what would and you we, say is your favorite part about being an amateur astronomer? <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, there is just there are so many cool things to look at in the night sky. You know, I don't think people realize you, know, you look up with just your eye and, you're, and you see stars. But with a telescope, you can see galaxies, nebula, star clusters, star nurseries. You know, we'll look at Orion's nebula where there's baby stars. Now, the baby stars are several million years old, but they're baby stars. And uh, there's just all kinds of cool things in there. And to just kind of tag on a little bit with what Stacy was talking about, down here in Pima County, we actually have a library telescope program. And so we are providing, and we have six out right now, we are providing some small tabletop telescopes for library patrons to check out. And they have been incredibly popular. Uh, They're just constantly checked out. They they don't do a waiting list because it just, the list would be long. So you have to just, you know, but within a day, they're checked back out again. So they've been really good. That's incredible. What a great opportunity. (laughs) So I'm curious, Jim, it says... um, you said your title is Star Party Manager with the Amateur Astronomy Association. Could you tell me a little bit about what that means? Star Party just sounds cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does. Um, it, yeah, it is. Uh, we're really active in our astronomy outreach. Um, pre-pandemic in 2019, we did 200 events wow. a year. And so what we do at star parties, we do, them, we do them at schools. We do public star parties. We support youth groups. But what we will do is we will show up with two, three, four, five telescopes during a STEM festival or a science fair or something like that. And we will look at what's up in the night sky. So we allow the parents and the kids to uh, look through it and the public ones, uh, anybody uh, that wants to come to them. And it's a great opportunity to uh, look at all the things I just mentioned, you know, the the really cool things that are up up in the night sky. 
So we do a lot of those. Uh, when the pandemic hit, uh, like most organizations, we had to figure out how to do virtual. And so we switched over to actually doing virtual star parties. And we hook up cameras to telescopes and we do it uh, through Zoom. And we did several schools. We've done, I don't know, 16 events since March of 2020. We, and so, and they've been, they've been a huge um, success because you think about it here in, you know, if we do it in Tucson, we're only able to reach out to people in Southern Arizona. But once you go online, oh mm-hmm. my goodness, you can, uh, you know, we've had people participating from all over the U.S. and all over the world. And a lot of these people, you know, they're either in light polluted skies or they have no astronomy club nearby. And so, you know, they, they don't have a way to participate. So even though we're back into doing in-person events, we are going to continue doing quarterly virtual star parties for that exact reason. So they've been a huge success. Congratulations. That's amazing. I'm curious, Jim, uh, in what ways has exploring your STEM hobby um, sort of supported your career journey or, you know, how are the two linked? So, you know, my career, I'm retired Air Force. And so I was, I flew on AWACS, which was, uh, it's an airborne warning and control system. So it's like a, a, a radar airplane. So it's an air traffic control in the, in the air, basically. So that, uh, they had a lot of, uh, of, you know, engineering background and science and, and that kind of related stuff. But, uh, you know, the hobby, when I, I had a small telescope when I was a kid. Nice. And I really didn't get back into the hobby until we moved to Tucson and, and retired because, you know, it's just sometimes it takes, a, you don't have the money, you know, you have other priorities, you don't have the money, just like cameras and everything, you know, it, it can be expensive to get into the hobby. Um, but once we got, once I got into it, then, you know, I really, really loved it. And I really enjoy um, doing the outreach part of it and, and sharing the, the astronomy, the wonders of the, of the universe with, with people. That's incredible. We're going to go all the way from the stars back down to Earth because we have Anne in the studio and you're a horticultural agent. Yes. What in the world is that? Horticulture is the science of growing plants mm-hmm. that are useful for people. Not agriculture, which is acres and acres of plants, but we're more like the home gardener or, you know, landscape design for your home. Uh, If you want to grow a garden or if you want to, you know, design a pretty backyard that you really love, that's where I come in. Very cool. Well, I do not have a green thumb. I know Claire does. Claire's very well connected and she's got like 15 plants on her desk downstairs. (laughs) So what is it that you do at the um, University of Arizona Cooperative Extension? What, What do you guys do? Okay, so, well, part of my job is I'm over the Master Gardener program oh. in my county. And I have just under 300 people. Usually they're retired people that have more time. But they go <laughs> through, yes, Jim. <laughs> they go through a pretty extensive training so that they can be your local go-to people with questions. If you want to, you know, call on the helpline and say, ah, my plant has got brown leaves. Why is that? Or... You know, they just, they, you, would, they would say, Kelly, you have to water yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, I just had a lady that called me in. Well, she actually brought in some brown leaves off of her fig tree after the freeze. I said, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty normal for a free fig oh. tree. You know, but just explaining that to them, getting, because... 
plants all like different things, mm-hmm. and we can grow a lot of them here, but they all have their own set of you know, exposure that they liked? Can they take the full sun or do they need a little afternoon shade? You know, what kind of water do they like? What kind of soil do they like? All these different things. It's all just science-based. Yeah. But if you really know what you're doing, you can create a really great space that you're going to love. So I love doing that. And, you know, all the food you can grow too. So that's fun. That's one of the things I love to do is show people how to make pesto by going out in their garden and picking a few things and blending them together. And uh, yeah, so I love eating, but that's why I love growing things. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I'm curious, Stacey, are you, do you like to cook? Are you a, are you a gardener? And then do you actually eat any of your vegetables you could grow? I'm pretty bad. As okay, good. We can be friends. I have kept an aloe vera plant alive for a year now. Um, that's about the extent of my capabilities. And somebody else planted a uh, lemon tree, a small Meyer lemon tree in my backyard. And I know a lot about fruits and vegetables and agriculture, but not a lot about horticulture or um, gardening itself. So I've been proud of myself for keeping a lemon tree alive, which is also pretty difficult to kill. (laughs) That's awesome. What about you? Jim, are are you a chef? You've got a little hobby. I am not, but I love to eat. Oh, same here. Same here. (laughs) What about you? Do you like to make cool stuff in the kitchen? I'm decent cook. Uh, My dad was a cook growing up a lot. And actually we had a garden uh, that we would plant every uh, spring. And then uh, he would actually make homemade uh, tomato sauce with everything from the garden. And I've never had anything quite like it. Wow. It's one of my greatest memories of growing up. Uh, Unfortunately, now it's all just strawberries because apparently those things spread like crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Claire posed a good question to Jim, and I'm curious. I'd love to hear from the rest of you about has your STEM hobby or your interest, whatever, kind of had a direct correlation to what you're doing for work? Do you do it for work because you're a librarian and you just happen to become the makerspace librarian? Or do you really enjoy tinkering? And same for you, like, you know, the makerspace, or I'm sorry, the Southwest Makerfest, you, you know, you were an exhibitor. So how did you kind of get into that role? Or is it fueling your passion in STEM? So let's start with Stacy. When I was in college, I actually entered UC Riverside as a biology major and decided in my junior year to switch to an English major. And I never really thought that I could be a librarian that still things did things within STEM. I never really realized that I had this passion for technology in the way that I do currently. And I really kind of developed that in libraries. I realized how important and big the digital divide is here in every community that I've worked in. And from there, I just love the ability to tinker. Um, I'll never remember the first time somebody put a robot on my desk and I got to sit around and play with a robot uh, as part of my job. (laughs) It was one of the best days ever. And then next thing I knew, I was getting drones on my desk and it just continued to grow and grow and grow. And during my master's degree, I learned more about coding and I learned more about things like that um, for my master's of library and information science. And it just kind of grew my desire to tinker and to mess with things. And I love what I do. I have a cricket maker at my own home. So I create things at home. I, uh, any chance I get to do something fun where it's buying 
presence for friends, kids that allow me to help them teach them how to code. I do that any chance I get. And so it doesn't feel like work. It feels like a lot of fun to tinker with these types of things. Yeah, I bet. I bet you're going to say the same thing, Mike. What about you? Oh, yeah. Uh, So I was actually going to go to college for film. uh, And a friend of mine convinced me to check out the same college, had a game design degree. And so I remember I bought myself a book. Uh, teach yourself C++ in 24 hours. It took me three months. Um, <laughs> but I realized, like, I loved it. And the great thing about programming is, you know, everything that we have has code in it nowadays. Mm-hmm. Like, even your car. Like, I have two uncles who are mechanics, and they are always complaining about everything's code. And uh, it allows me to create anything that I can imagine. Or even if I'm too cheap to buy something, like when Nest first came out, I was like, that's pretty cool. Uh, It's how much? And I'm like, I probably could write one with a Raspberry Pi and a couple of, uh, you know, parts. And sure enough, I did and hooked it up and it fully worked. And yeah, it was great. And so being able to do that, being able to take something physical, write code and create something useful, you know, for me, it's fun. It's actually helped my career drastically because all the different programming languages that I've learned... for all the different, you know, scenarios, all the different devices. Um, so it's, they both kind of fuel each other. Yeah. And I'm, I'm assuming, Anne, you had to have planted things when you were younger to want to become a horticultural agent, but... You know what? It was growing up with plants in a big garden. Yeah. And so I, if you've never tasted fruits or veggies right out of your own garden or when they're ripe, picking something right off the tree, you've never tasted them. You know, you can't get an apricot in the store that mm. tastes as good as a ripe one coming off a tree. <laughs> it is a totally different world. So I love that. And then, you know, my love of being outdoors and that kind of life led me to landscape design. So I liked creating those spaces for other people. But then, you know, the science of it all is what really hooks you mm-hmm. because it's so interesting. You're always learning. There's I'll never learn it all. Never, ever. And so, you know, I I started learning about trees and they're incredible and all these different plants and everywhere you travel to, you know, I'm going, ooh, what's that plant? And, you know, you can see the families, but it's not quite the same. So I'm always, I love going to nurseries or gardens that have the names on the plants. And so that's what I love to do is constantly learning and why did they do this and you know, how is it that you can get them to do that? And I just love that. That's so interesting to me. And then, you know, the last dozen or so years, I've been heavily into beekeeping, which goes hand in hand with mm-hmm. growing plants, right? And good food. And oh my gosh, don't get into beekeeping. It is so addictive. <laughs> you you have all of a sudden these, you know, 50,000 little friends that you just want them to live so bad. <laughs> That's funny. And yeah, so I'm a collector of monofloral honeys, which Ooh. we need to get together and have a honey tasting. Oh, that would never done Sounds that. like a side tech bed. Yes, <laughs> because, you know, of course, I never thought about it until just a few years ago, but of course the nectar from this flower tastes different from that, that plant over there. They're all different. So then they make honey out of, you know, one source. It's going to taste different and look different than a honey from a different source. Who knew? Who knew? But they're so different. 
and you do these tastings. So you're training yourself how to get all the different flavors and how they taste to you because, you know, you and I might not have the same palate. Mm -hmm. But then I just tried doing a honey and cheese pairings. Ooh. Oh, so yeah, sometimes like goat cheese is way too strong, but you drizzle a little meadow foam honey on it. Oh, oh that sounds game delicious. <laughs> I don't yeah. like goat cheese. <laughs> I know, it's too strong. But I'm telling you, I would. you would be loving me after I drizzle a little bit of that okay. honey on there and you'll be, oh, give me some more. I yeah. love that that's another hobby that's become addicting because, you know, the Again, feeling this passion and, you know, if you had to think to yourself, man, when I was an eighth grader, what would I want an adult to say to me to kind of open my eyes that you don't have to do what your friends are doing. If you like it, do it. Because I've worked with so many, I taught, used to teach sixth grade math and just some of my, you know, adorable little knuckleheads would do whatever their friends were doing. And they really just wanted to do their math. They enjoyed doing their the puzzle games and they liked enjoy they enjoyed being in my class, but you know, they were just kind of with the wrong crowd. So I'm curious, Jim, what would you say to your eighth grade self? Oh wow. I, I would say exactly. I mean, I would say, you know, just reach out, try to take on something that uh, you know, that is outside your comfort zone and see if it uh, see if it's something that appeals to you. And uh, try different things. You know, I, there's there's a couple of different career paths that I thought would have been really cool to be able to do um, that I probably just, you know, I didn't, when I was choosing wh where to go, I didn't, you know, have any exposure to that growing up. And so I didn't even think about going down that, that path. Um, you know, one of the things, and that's one of the things I really love about doing astronomy outreach is the fact that you have an opportunity to influence somebody young mm -hmm. and, and either choosing a science career path or a hobby early on. Um, I do, we did a star part, we do star parties up at the Grand Canyon every year. This is probably about seven or eight years ago. I had a 10 year old boy and he looked at Saturn through the telescope and saw the rings and the planet. And he went running across the parking lot, shouting at the top of his lungs, I saw Saturn. I saw Saturn. And he drug his whole family back to the telescope. <laughs> so I know that that made an impact on that little boy. Oh, that's amazing. What about you, Stacey? I'm sure you see a lot of different, a variety of students and adults at the library. But what, what would you say to your eighth grade self? Yeah, um, I actually work with teens a lot here, and um, I I don't I don't know what I would say to myself when I was in eighth grade. I was, I guess I would say just make sure you have more fun and you're more willing to explore new things. I was always so serious, like yeah. all the time throughout high school and throughout uh, junior high, and I was in every extracurricular and did all those different things and. I did all that with a thought that I wanted to become a neurologist one day. And I guess it would just be like, it's okay to do other things. I mean, I also volunteered in the library and at the time never ever would have thought I'd become a librarian. And I literally laughed at the first person who ever told me to become a librarian. So maybe also that don't laugh at people trying to give you career advice. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I'd be open to that type of advice. It, it 
it did take some convincing for me to really think about what it meant to be a librarian and to think about it and do this. And uh, that person, thankfully, is still super nice to me today and still mentors me, even though I literally laughed at her advice the first time <laughs> she gave me any. But I guess it's that. It would be be more open. Um, be willing that even when you do become a librarian to play with that robot, to explore those different opportunities, to be able to look at something like MakerFest and think about how libraries can fit in or SciTech Festival and take these opportunities. And so I think in eighth grade, just really, I know you feel like you're on top of the world when you're young, but um, continue that. Remember that you can still explore, you can learn something new, you can always try something new and you never know where it's gonna lead. Yeah, and I think um, one of the notes from your form, you said, why is it important for the A in STEM, Mike? And I know that at the Makers Fest, you've seen a lot of different people interact and make things, but the the lighting up of their eyes of, I just made that, is a pretty cool thing to watch as a former you know math teacher, is like, oh, I did that, I got that, I understand. So I'm curious, what about you? What would you say to your eighth grade self? Uh, I don't know, I was kind of a mathlete in eighth grade, and I I just discovered passion for reading. And so both of those things are still to this day. So, I mean, I would just tell me to stick with it. Yeah. Um, Best advice I probably would give myself is never get complacent. Um, Early in my career, you know, I'd been programming the same thing for four years and kind of let myself get complacent and wasn't happy. And so started pushing myself outside of my comfort zone and discovered, you know, lots of different passions. And that's really kind of where the whole journey into creating and making things came from was just, you know, uh, trying lots of different stuff, like you guys said. And, you know, I love the makerspace. You know, like, I love that it's part of the library. Like, Mesa does that as well. Mm -hmm. And giving kids those options, those tools, giving them that exposure, that is the first step in shaping someone's life. Absolutely. And I think it's huge. And, you know, I have a friend of mine that actually works at the Makerspace in Mesa, and the stories that he comes away with of what his kids create, what, you know, like, comes out of the classes that he instructs, it's inspiring to me. And you're hearing it secondhand, like, Yeah, and I can't even imagine seeing it first place, you know, firsthand. And so I love that we have that nowadays. You know, we're in a golden age where whatever you can think of, you can pretty much make. Yeah. And it's, you know, the tools, the technology, the, you know, even software, how much open source software is out there or how many different things are out there that kids are just playing around with because they have access to it. And I think, think a, lot of, a lot of teachers are taking on that invention education t- style of, you know, the, again, I was in the classroom where you're talking about project-based learning, innovation labs, having the spaces even in schools. It's starting to open up the eyes of, you know, I remember good old writing on paper <laughs> back when I was doing homework <laughs> as a child. But I think things are starting to transform so that even the kindergartners are manipulating and in, in hands-on activities. But... All right, Anne, eighth grade you, what would you say? I would say don't be afraid to do things. That's Mm. one thing that I try to tell people all the time. And I was pretty fearful and shy and back then. Yeah. And uh, came out of it, and that was great. So, you know, don't be afraid to try new things and always be looking for something and definitely do something that you love. Yeah. Because it didn't matter 
I was lucky to find that early on. And so, you know, I went right into college. I found something I loved. And then it didn't matter where I went within the horticulture industry. I still loved it. And so I've had several jobs. And so, you know, when the the economy would turn and there wasn't a whole lot of work here, I could just turn over here. And it was because I was always willing to have somebody, if they were willing to teach me, I was willing to learn. If I had a boss that said, hey, could you go get this certification? I'll say, yeah, sure. And go do it. So even though I might not use it right then a whole lot, boy, it was ready. And, you know, so I have this wide background of experience Mm -hmm. that, wow, you can do so many things. And it's just so exciting and fascinating. And your mind is still engaging all the time. It's wonderful. I know you've been collecting a lot of information from industry partners, Claire, but what would you say or what would you ask our panelists? Um, I'm just curious, you know, kind of how how you maybe discovered your hobbies or what you think you could learn from the hobbies that you do uh, that might help students, you know, if they were decided they want to start a garden in their backyard, how can, what can they learn from that experience uh, and take with them into their jobs in the future? We can maybe start with oh, Anne. No. Okay. Well, even with, you know, I, I actually made the because beekeeping was just a sideline or hobby, when I got to a place, and it was a college campus, and I saw that they had a big organic garden, but they didn't, you know, and I wouldn't, most people wouldn't notice that there weren't a lot of bees around. I noticed that there weren't a lot of bees around. I said, well, that's a problem, because I knew pollination had to take place for them to get enough produce. And they were trying to produce it for students and for this the cafe and everything, So I said, we really need to have bees on campus. And then was able to get bees on campus. They didn't ever tell me how many. So I just (laughs) went for it. No restrictions. uh, Yeah, never told anybody what I was doing. Just kind of, you know, we did it. And it was so popular. And so many people were excited. And they wanted to come see. And they wanted to volunteer. And, you know, I've trained. And then they said, oh, can you make a class around beekeeping? And so I did. And. And we've had so many people that have just had, it's really the most fun class you could take. Oh, yeah. Because it was hands-on in the bees. And they're a little bit scared at first. You <laughs> oh, can I see would them be. <laughs> all standing there, you know. The big net yeah, over the, your head. <laughs> yeah, all the PPE on, and they're just worried about it. But, uh, yeah, by the end of that class, they're in there telling me what everything is. Oh, there's the queen, there's the drone, you know, and here's the baby bees and they can identify it all and they know how to manage these hives. And it's, you know, that's an important thing because it's not easy. And we have so many things attacking bees that are trying to kill them, you know, all sorts of viruses and Africanized bees and make them just angry. Um, so it's a really good hobby that's also making the world a better place. Yeah. So, yeah. Maybe fear too, right? Of, just mm-hmm. get in there. I don't know. That'd, <laughs> yeah. be, that'd be the one thing I'd learned. <laughs> yeah. What about you, Mike? I mean, I think one of the biggest things, you know, like a lot of us have touched on and you mentioned as well is don't be afraid to step outside and do something different. I'm one of those people that I will know absolutely nothing about what I'm walking into and still go in there uh, because I figure at the least uh, it'll be fun or I'll get a good story out of it. You know, case in point, uh, a couple of years ago, I decided to try improv comedy. Oh, I love it. <laughs> and it was it was a lot of fun. And what's interesting was 
I didn't realize how much that helped me in work. Mm. So like the idea of active listening and the idea of, you know, uh, building off what someone said before you and never saying no, those lessons help me every single day at work, especially in meetings, you know, and making sure that everyone's contributing, everyone, it's a team, you know, working together. Um, and that all came from improv. I just wanted it to be funny. Yeah. And, you know, here I was trying to, you know, use it for work. Uh, I wish they'd paid for it, but I'm still working on that one. I got the receipts. <laughs> but, you know, it's, you never know what you're going to get out of it. You never know what you're going to find. I mean, you know, when I was talking about my path, I was going to go for film. Right. And it was a friend of mine who said, well, you like computers, which, again, this was a long time ago, so that was pretty much all there was was computers. It wasn't specialties or anything. She's like, check out games. And I was like, okay. And that set me on the path to where I am now, and I couldn't imagine doing anything else. I love what I do so okay. much, and it's so much fun every day. So, yeah. I think, Jim, you mentioned a little bit about a military connection that you had. And, of course, you had that uh, telescope when you were a child. But what are those skills that you would mention? Yeah, you know, it's uh, the neat thing with astronomy is you can, you know, start off small and just slowly grow as, as a hobbyist or as a professional. Um, so, you know, what what I found probably most prevalent when I was doing astronomy, you look up in the night sky and you you just feel pretty small mm -hmm. in the big scheme of things. And maybe all the problems you have aren't all that significant and you can figure out ways to work around them and, and be a better person. Um, but the, and, and the, the cool thing is you can do that. You, know, you can do astronomy with just your eyes. You can just go outside and lay, lay back and just watch the stars. You can look at the constellations. You can make up your own constellations. Uh, great family activities to be able to do stuff like that. Um, but you can you can grow it as, as you need to. And, you know, if you start off as a hobby and you like it, uh, you know, it's it's got a professional career path that very easily you can uh, migrate to. And the cool thing with astronomy, it's one of the one of the hobbies that there is a very strong connection between amateurs and professionals. We can do a lot of things that the professionals actually can't do. Mm. Um, you know, time on, on these big telescopes is very precious. So they're not going to spend weeks or months staring at a star or plotting uh, this or, you know, looking at the brightness. But as, a, as an amateur, you can do all that and the equipment pretty good and, and you can collaborate with them very well. That's cool. Great, great, great points. I love the the fact that everybody can lay on the ground and look at the stars. That's kind of our theme this year for the 11th year of the SciTech Festival is I'm a scientist because everybody can walk outside and, oh, look, there's a tree. What kind of tree? Right. You could you could learn different things or, you know, even turning on your phone. Ah, you know, technology. Right. Because <laughs> some generations they are like, what is this thing? I'm like, this is better than the computer I had in eighth grade. <laughs> This is crazy. So over to you, Stacey. What are, what are some of the skills that translate? You know, I mean, you've had a pretty diverse background yourself, but are there certain things that you pick up at work that you think are from your hobby that led to a strong work ethic? Yeah, I just think that 
ability to explore, just kind of like everybody has said. As Jim was just talking about astronomy, I just thought about one of my favorite memories so far in Arizona was there was some meteor shower happening at some point. And I was tracking if it was going to be cloudy that day or not. And so I found out it wasn't going to be that cloudy that night and I could possibly see it happening. And so I got in my car. I was very new to Arizona (laughs) and started driving to places that there were less light pollution. And so I ended up in the hills somewhere. Um, (laughs) She's like, I don't even know where. (laughs) GPS, lost signal. (laughs) Um. Yeah, I I mean, and there was just astronomers and people with telescopes lining the roads. And that's why I knew I was in the right spot. So I got out of my car and just decided to look up, see what would happen. And it was such a cool memory. Like I ended up, I don't know, I was standing near some bushes and I kept hearing something moving in the bushes. So I ended up leaving. (laughs) Again, new to Arizona. That's a rattlesnake. No, it's not. <laughs> yeah, and um, and I'm like terrified of spiders, so I was like, this better not be a tarantula. So, um, although I know they're very friendly and gentle, but <laughs> still, <laughs> I would have screamed and disturbed every astronomer along that road. Um, it was such a cool experience because I got to see this really cool thing in Arizona, and it was so easy to just try. And I didn't see much because I wasn't out there for very long and I was probably too impatient to do this thing. But it was just such a neat experience and something I'll never forget doing. And I ended up driving around like Fountain Hills and like all these other places that I never knew existed because I was so new to Arizona. And it was such a cool experience. The drive was amazing. I actually did that same drive during the day and another time just to see what it was like. The scenery was incredible. But yeah, just that ability to explore, that willingness to actually see something through. So I saw a few stars that night and it was really awesome for me. But one of the things I harp on so much when I'm working with kids and teaching classes or even when I'm working with adults or um, other people is that I would tell them that just finish something start it and finish it. And even if it's something small, you can build off of that small thing and you can do more. So you can get in a car and go look at some stars one day. And then then the next thing you know, you could be buying a telescope or you could be outside. I so often now we'll just go outside when it's cloudless at night and just stare up at the stars because I'm able to do that out here near where I live. Whereas when I was living in California, it's not as easy. And so start something and see it through at least to that very basic step. See one star, create one 3D print that will work no matter how small it is. It could be for all I care, a sphere. Um, But hold that thing and think about it and then continue to explore if you're interested in it. And if not, you did it once and you completed something. And that's so incredible. And I think that that for me is something that I learned in my hobbies. And um, sometimes I'll start designs that I'm going to do on my Cricut. And then I won't actually print them because I'm so stuck in the designing that I'll design them for months. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) There's something that I started in July and I'm still working on and I've been working on it like every weekend. I'll eventually just tell myself, nope, you just have to print it. Just go um, and see what happens. And so that's kind of what I think 
has led to something that really helps me in my career is just start something and finish the smallest part of it. And then you can build upon those things. And I think that's something that makes science and the maker world so incredible. That's great advice too for educators out there. If you're listening, start and finish it, but it doesn't have to be the whole thing, right? It doesn't right? have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be perfect. Failure is an option. Just fail fast, fail forward, fail often, and fail smart and do it again, right? So that's, that's kind of how I'm going to ask you to close tonight. I want you to share how people can get in contact with you if you want to share a website address or an email. But I want you to address one misconception about your STEM hobby. So if it's coding or if it's gardening, right? Looking at the stars, maker stuff, or 3D printing. What's one common misconception you'd like to dispel the myth? <laughs> like I'm going to say coding is hard. I don't know. But the idea is what what is that one misconception you'd like to address? And then how can people get in touch with you? Let's start with Mike. Only one. Only one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I honestly like I still feel like even in this day, most people look at what I do as like voodoo or dark science. And like <laughs> you're in the basement. <laughs> yeah. Like I don't know. Maybe movies and TV have ruined it. But biggest misconception is that it's hard. All of programming, all it is, is logic. Mm. And that's, I mean, that's what it comes down to. Yeah, you have to use funny, weird weird words and syntax and things like that, but that's just so that the computer can understand the logic. And just like anything, you can pick that up. Uh, and if you get it wrong, luckily, the compiler will most likely tell you why you got it wrong. But, you know, start small. For every single programming book, you know what the first thing they teach you in any new language is? to print out the words, hello world. Mm. That's it. That's the simplest thing that you can do in every single language. Um, but it really shows that, like, it's simple. Like, you can get started. Yes, it can get complicated, but just dive in, you know? Don't be afraid to fail. You, who knows where it'll go? It's not for everyone, but you won't know unless you try. And, uh, you know, take it from someone who tried and loves it. I would highly recommend it. And how do they find out more about the Southwest Maker Fest? So Southwest Maker Fest, it's going to be uh, our next one is next month, February 19th. Uh, you can go to uh, visit us on Facebook um, or our website, southwestmakerfest.com uh, or Southwest Maker Fest on Facebook. Feel free to check it out. If you want to exhibit, if you have something cool, you can apply on there. If you want to volunteer, we have people uh, helping run the day of the festival. If you're interested in helping be part of the planning committee, you can reach out to us on Facebook. Uh, it's all volunteer-driven. It's all donation-driven. And it's really kind of a bootstrap festival um, by people that are just passionate about sharing with the community and giving them, you know, ideas, inspiration. So come join. Be a part of it. It's a wonderful experience. This will be my fifth year being involved. And... Uh, yeah, I'll keep doing it as long as I can. I love it. What about you, Anne? What's that one misconception and how they get in touch with you? Okay, you don't have to have green thumbs to grow. Okay? <laughs> I know. Yeah. Yes, you Anybody do. can grow She's anything. Yes. <laughs> and you just need to know what that plant wants. Good point. Really. I mean, you just need to know how to make it happy, what soil it needs, how much water it needs, what sun it needs, and you'll be able to grow anything you want. So... Uh, you know, you can come learn from us. You can learn online. There's so many resources out there. So anybody can grow their own food if they want, or they can make a beautiful landscape and have 
exactly the kind of outdoor living that they want. So even here in the desert, you can grow so many fun things. It's uh, I'm trying a lot of new things and it's really fun for me. So if you want to get a hold of me, you can look either online at extension.arizona.edu and then of course look for Pinal County and you'll be able to find me there. Or I do have an Instagram where it's uh, Pinal Cooperative Extension Garden and Landscape. You can follow me on there. Or we'll be out at the Pinal County Fair here in March. So you can come by and I will be given demonstrations and talks and uh, handing out good things. So yeah, you can come by and meet me in person and I'd love to get to know everybody. That's great. All right, Jim, what about you? Aliens. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's probably the most frequent question I get is, are there aliens and have we been visited? Um, And I tell people, I tell them, first of all, space is big. You know, I mean, the nearest star to us is over four light years away. So you have to have either some incredible technology or be able to fold space to be able to travel around the cosmos. Now, I also tell them as we're looking at galaxies that are millions of light years away and have hundreds of billions of stars, that I firmly believe there is probably other intelligent life in those galaxies and on planets. They just probably either don't live long enough or they just don't develop the technology to become visit us. Most of the time, when we look to a telescope, we see something zipping through it or something, you know, you can explain what it is, you know what it is. Um, I've never been able to do a freeze frame and actually see the Starship Enterprise in there. <laughs> but if I do, <laughs> then I will know. Um, but that's probably, uh, that's probably the, the biggest misconception is uh, most things can be explained by science and by uh, understanding what you're looking at. Uh, and and again, you know, we're kind of small in the big thing, big scheme of things. So uh, there's probably there's certainly other life out there, I'm sure, but it'd be hard to visit us. Uh, as far as contacting us, uh, we have a great website, TucsonAstronomy.org. Uh, there's a calendar there if you're in the southern Arizona area. Come check out some of our star parties. Uh, if we're we have virtual ones as well, the next one's coming up on February 19th, I think it is. And, uh, and so come check that out. You can, uh, we'll stream it live to our Facebook page. Our Facebook is just uh, search Tucson Astronomy. We also have a YouTube channel. Again, search Tucson Astronomy. All of our virtual star parties are on there. So if you ever want to, you know, if you're bored and want to do some uh, stargazing and from the comfort of your computer, come check us out. That's great, Stacy. I think you should travel to Tucson and go visit Jim. <laughs> definitely want to. <laughs> Nothing like a live star party. She's like, hey, there you go. Exactly. I've been, I'm a two-timer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll be the second time I go and actually try to stargaze. Um, I, I guess uh, for me, uh, the mi- biggest misconception about being a maker is that you have to feel very creative or like an artist. You don't. I would not consider myself an artist. You do not want to see me draw anything. Um, I am not a graphic designer, but I can design some things on softwares and do things like that. But uh, nobody would hire me as a graphic designer. So you don't have to be the most creative person in the world to be a maker. It could be anybody. And 
anybody can create anything. You do not have to be an artist. You don't have to be good at drawing. You don't have to be good at any of that. Um, you can do this. And that's, I think, the biggest misconception about being a maker is you can pick up a cricket and you can cut a triangle and you can decorate something with that. And, and that's okay. Um, we all have different capabilities, but that's kind of what I think the biggest misconception is about being a maker is that you don't have to be making artisan breads. You just can make something. Yeah, that's great. What about contacting you at the library? Hi, um, ChandlerLibrary.org. Um, there's a uh, contact us or I think it's a ask us form. Um, if you fill that out and let them know you're interested in the makerspace or the makery is what we call our makerspace here, they'll forward that email to me. Um, and that would be the best way to contact me. Excellent. Well, to our listeners, we encourage you to get involved in the STEM community. Maybe you are an industry professional seeking ways to make an impact on the lives of others or maybe bees, but need an opportunity to share. Maybe you're a student searching for a mentor and not sure who's available. Maybe you're a community collaborator hoping to meet the right people to join the Maker Southwest Maker Fest or another SciTech Festival event in your community. We want to help you get connected. And we want to encourage everyone to kind of consider hosting an event, doing a showcase, having a tour, STEM career panels, STEM hobby panels, and so much more. The 11th season of the Arizona SciTech Festival does start this weekend and continues through April. So make sure you get connected with these amazing individuals. So we want to definitely say thank you to Mike, Jim, Stacy, and Ann for being guests on our show tonight. And thank you to all of you for joining us and listening in to this episode of STEM Unplugged, exploring STEM hobbies in Arizona and beyond. We appreciate all of our guests for being on the show and to my teammate, Claire, for supporting these connections. If you would like more information on ways to volunteer or support an organizing event, let us know. You can check out our website, SciTechInstitute.org, and complete the Get Involved form. A quick shout out to all educators, students, and families, and our community collaborators joining us this weekend for the ribbon cutting of the 11th season of the Arizona SciTech Festival. We look forward to celebrating STEM with all of you this season. We appreciate all of your enthusiasm tonight on the show to our guests. Thank you to all of you for listening. This is your host, Kelly Green, and we would be glad to discuss how you can get connected. Thank you for joining us for this episode of STEM Unplugged. We encourage you to get involved in the STEM community and stay connected at SciTechInstitute.org.